is what I have instead of coffee. On the box press radio i'm dan and i'm andrew long time no see yeah. or here i guess in this case and tonight we're gonna talk about uh vampire i, I assume Yay. we're gonna talk about like all of it not like necessarily just the masquerade right well i mean vampire the masquerade mainly this is all brought about because of the announcement that bloodlines 2 is coming out but i mean i figured it's probably gonna be kind of a deep dive so yeah, I, I I guess we should preface this too. Like, you know, a considerably larger amount than I do. I know right. what I've learned in the last like three days from watching a documentary, uh, <laughs> reading some stuff on the internet, and watching some YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. So I have I I learned enough to be able to ask questions, basically. <laughs> I mean, I'm not necessarily an expert, you know, I don't work for White Wolf or anything like that, but I mean, I can answer what questions I can, I guess, as best as I can anyway. Um, so, do you want to give, like, a basic synopsis of Vampire for people that maybe aren't familiar with it? Well, essentially it started out as a um, a tabletop pen and paper RPG um, and it came out like in the early nineties, like 1991, I think is when it was officially released. Um, and it, it kind of took the gaming world by storm just because of the fact that it was vastly different because pretty much everything else up to that point was, you know, fantasy and, you know, or had some sort of elements of fantasy in it. Um, but, uh, it started out from there and basically the, the gist of the game is that vampires, werewolves, mages ghosts you know pretty much anything that goes bump in the night is real um but vampires are definitely real um they live among us they maintain what is called a masquerade a masquerade which is basically their code to you know essentially keep their secrets secret so basically if i understood right they have the masquerade which is them not letting humans mortals know that vampires are real so that there's not another inquisition right yeah basically that they're that's essentially what they're trying to do because in the lore of the game the inquisition as we know it you know from history class and all that stuff the inquisition as we know it was actually a plot set up 
basically like buy vampires to kill other vampires essentially it's essentially it's a big historical clusterfuck <laughs> where yeah. basically you know it, you know it's pretty much bad for everybody but that eventually went away and now in the modern nights you know it's you know we don't want to have that happen again so let's keep everything secret I mean, yeah, obviously you're going to have to feed on people and do some other things, but there's other vampires out there that don't necessarily want you to do that. And again, there's werewolves out there that don't like vampires either. And, you know, there's all sorts of other things in between. But yeah, that's basically the essential idea is it's it was revolutionary, too, as a tabletop game, because up until that point, for one, I think the only like vampire role playing game that was close to big was the supplement for D&D that was Ravenloft and that was more like medieval Dracula essentially. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean so they mentioned this in the documentary that we watched. Yeah, um, which by the way that is called World of Darkness which goes over the entire history of White Wolf and the game and the the live action versions and all that kind of stuff um pretty much up to I want to say either right before or just after the 20th anniversary edition came out and definitely before the fifth edition, which is the current new revamped version that's out now. I think it ended right after the fifth edition was coming out. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to tell because they, at the end it's sort of like, they talk about it for sure. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I guess, I I wasn't totally sure because they kind of just talked about everything all at one time. Right. I got the impression that it started as a like dice pen and paper RPG that was story heavy. Yeah. And then they adapted it into like a LARP live action role play scenario where people would dress up and go and have parties and talk mm -hmm. about mystique and, you know, (laughs) Yeah, basically, like, um, essentially, that's where my background with the the non you know computer game non non digital versions of the game has been. Uh, I got into playing the LARPs here locally um, at around I want to say like two thousand three, two thousand four, because it was just after I graduated high school and when I was briefly attempting to go to college. Um, I met a bunch of people there that played and got me kind of into it from in, at least as far as the LARP goes. I have not played Vampire as a tabletop game yet. I hope to someday, but I haven't had a chance to actually do that yet. Um, I did play uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse uh, as a tabletop game, and it was a lot of fun. But the the game itself emphasizes uh, stories and dialogue and, you know that sort of stuff over combat and spreadsheets and more of the stuff that you were getting at the time, like with Dungeons and Dragons, where you had all these spreadsheets of combat maneuvers and dice rolls and shit. Like they wanted to concise that down. There is combat in the game and, you know, when done well, it's, it's still fun, but they didn't want that to be the emphasis of the game. They didn't want it to just be, you go to this vampire bar and then you go kill, you know, werewolves, you know, like, no, they didn't want to rip off that whole, you know, D and D go to the tavern, then kill a dragon shit, you know? Right. So I got the impression that the LARP version Mm -hmm. was predominantly the more, uh, popular version of the game. 
I um, mean, like the, the thing one is, that people have stayed interested in longer. Yeah, the uh, LARP scene to a certain. I mean, like around here, it's pretty much dead now. Like, I don't know any LARP games or you know even any tabletop games that are still going on anymore, which you know makes me kind of sad. But I mean, that happens, you know. <clears throat> um, but basically, like the. Yeah, but I know, like, at Gen Con, their LARP game was going heavy, I believe, like, still up to this day. As it um, should, considering that's where it all began. Well, yeah, because Gen Con's where they unveiled the tabletop version, but their LARP game has been going strong for a very long well, time. and they got their idea for it on their way to Gen Con. Yeah, exactly. Driving through so, fucking <clears throat> Gary, Indiana. Yeah, which is which has made me realize, watching that, that one of the supplements, like, one of the first, like like adventures or whatever that they came up with for the game was set in Gary, Indiana, <laughs> you know? So I was like, well, that, that explains why that was like one of the first supplements. Cause I was like, that's kind of an odd choice. I mean, it's cool because at least it's somewhere local to where I live and, you know, my experiences, cause we've been through Gary, you know? I, yeah. We, I've been to amateur baseball games in Gary and sold beer in that city. And that's about it. Right, but I'm saying you've been there, you've seen what it looks like, you've seen what they've seen, all that kind of stuff. You know what they're doing. Yep, it's so, a dumpster yeah. fire. Yeah. But yeah, in general, like, um, I don't know, like, the, the, the LARP scene, I think, is a little bit more popular only because... I mean, granted, I'm you know I was a theater kid in high school and stuff too, so it attracts people who are more into that, like the people who actually want to dress like the characters and you know actually play out the scenes instead of just sitting at a table and doing it. People which granted, are interested like, because of the lifestyle and just the mm-hmm. overall style, not just the uh, right, yeah, which is the a blessing in the game. Yeah, it is a blessing and a curse because obviously you've had you know, jerk-offs who think they're vampires going around biting people and, you know, murdering people and shit like that, which is some of the controversy the game has garnered. But I'm going, every game's garnered controversy. I mean, D&D had the whole Satanist bullshit going on for, you know, all through the 80s. So, I mean, yeah. But the LARP scene was a a lot of fun, and I kind of, I liked it because I love the documentary that posted, or that uh, showed people doing the the boffer sword stuff because i have a lot of friends that do that shit and it's like that doesn't appeal to me i don't really want to run around just whacking somebody with a nerf sword yeah it sounds kind of fun but it also sounds like a pain in the ass too and it looks like it too yeah like i'm a self-proclaimed nerd and that's a little much for me right whereas with uh vampire the masquerade larp instead of doing like swords and you know all that stuff and actually hitting each other uh and replacing the whole dice roll mechanic from the from the tabletop version you basically just did rock paper scissors which makes it nice because like when we did our larp games there was a guy that lived in a trailer park and they had like a a clubhouse area that you could rent for parties and things like that so they would rent it once a month to do these games in but again, like you know, if you see a bunch of guys outside hitting each other with stuff, somebody's going to call the cops, and then it's going to become, you know, then it's going to become a pain. In- right, then it's going to become a pain in the ass. You got to explain you're just playing a game, and these weapons aren't going to hurt each other, and blah, blah, blah. just you know, again, a clusterfuck you don't want to deal with. Also, so, like it, it, it's not a good look for the game in general to have a bunch of people dressed up hitting each other with pool noodles. In a right. trailer park, like that does not garner <laughs> respect well, for what you're doing. Like, well, I understand even so, that it's fun, but it it does not look good to the outsider. 
But even so, unlike those games, because they're using medieval weaponry, we're in the modern days, so people are going to have machine guns and pistols, and nobody wants to get arrested for a Nerf gun in a trailer park. Again, it just looks bad and stupid. <laughs> you don't want that on your record. Right. So, I mean... You know, or worse, because you never know. Some somebody might get trigger happy and decide to, you know, take you out on their own. But right. again, again, it just it makes it more concise, and you can still dress up. You can still do your, you know, your vampire thing. You just do rock paper scissors to determine things and move on from there. And again, it's all more story driven, more political, like you know, social political, you know, things because in the game you've got your clans, which are basically like your your bloodline that you're you know, born into, you know, when you become a vampire and that comes with certain, you know, strengths and weaknesses, depending upon who, you know, what clan you're in. But then on top of that, you've got the overarching political struggle. Cause you've got uh, the Camarilla or the Camarilla, however you pronounce it. Nobody's really figured that out yet, but depending upon like, you know, what clan you're in generally, the Camarilla pretty much is the, I don't want to say good guys, but they're the the ones that are like everybody that's kindred or that, you know, their word for vampire, everybody that's kindred is welcome. Even though most of the time, if they don't like you, they will find a way to screw you over just because they don't like you. Um, Right. They're kind of the like empire of the night. Yeah, basically. And then you've also got on the opposite side, you've got the Sabbat who really don't give too much of a shit about the masquerade. Like, you know, they kind of just go out and, um, Essentially, the way I always look at them is, you know, even though there are some that are more aristocratic than that, um, I always looked at the the vampires in Lost Boys as kind of like that. That's your sabbat because those guys are running around, flying and killing people on the beach. They don't really, they don't give a fuck, you know. They're just doing whatever they want to do. Vampire shit, right? Exactly. They're just out doing whatever the fuck they want to do without any repercussions, really. Um, And then, you know, that's kind of like your your that's your true evil side there. And then you have the Anarchs who are in the middle who basically don't want what the Camarilla has to offer, definitely don't want what the Sabbat has to offer, kind of want to carve out their own niche or their own niche, whatever. But basically that's, you know, that's kind of your overarching, you know, like everybody has to deal with that particular thing. And then, of course, you've also got to deal with, like I said, werewolves and hunters and, you know, all these other things. And, again, you have to uphold the masquerade. You can't just go running around biting people in broad daylight. Well, obviously not in broad daylight. You'll burn to death. But you can't just go out. Right. You just can't go around, like, doing it, you know, like, in front of everybody. You can't just walk into the middle of a dance floor at a nightclub and just start feeding, you know. Like, wait, that looks weird, you know. But, again, there's there's lots of little minutiae and stuff. Um and I think it I think in general as far as the stories go, like it there's a lot of room because you've got like one of the taglines they always had was uh, uh stories of personal horror because each character has their own personal horror stories to tell. You know, some people like get turned into vampires and never know who turned them into vampires, so they're kind of just left out like a naked baby in the woods. Um you know, to kind of figure it out for themselves, you know, you know, pretty much trial by fire. Right. Which, and those you know, are the ones where a lot of them don't really last. Most of the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, granted, if you're in a, in a game, that's kind of that, that that's part of the story, then yeah, that's not such a big deal, but generally vampires that kind of just get thrown out like that usually don't last very long, if at all. Um, but 
Yeah, the, the game itself just has, I think, a lot to offer if you like something a little less combat-heavy heavy and a little more story-driven. Um, to me, to me, one of the analogies that I was thinking of in terms of video games is you've got your on-rails like shooter game where you're basically just led down corridors and shoot stuff. Um, whereas, like, Vampire would be more like uh, Grand Theft Auto or something where you're kind of free to do just about whatever you want to do. Like, you can go and pursue these missions or whatever that come along, or you can kind of just go do whatever you want to do. Granted, there's consequences for doing one or the other, but either way, it's it's more based on your own personal choices. And I, I like that idea because it's not so much, you know, it's, I've played like some Dungeons and Dragons type campaigns where it's, everything is in bold text and you cannot deviate from the bold text. You have to play exactly what's on this paper. And I don't like that. That's that a little point, limit. read a book. Right. It, it, it's like having a choose your own adventure book where they just tell you to go to page nine. You have no other page choice. <laughs> you know, right. like you can't, there's, there's really no choices. Would you like to know more? Turn the page. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like that's all you're going to do is go keep going on the story. But yeah, I mean, and I've had fun playing it. Uh, I did LARP games a few different times. Um, I I wouldn't quite necessarily say that I was that successful at them because to a certain extent, I was also not exactly in the money. So I didn't have like all the books and I didn't have all the, you know, resources available to me like I kind of do now because I've kind of collected stuff over the years. Um, But you know, in general, I still find it very fascinating, um, and that's one of the reasons why I really liked uh, the digital games that they did release, uh, at least for Vampire anyway. I never got to play the the Hunter game that came out for the original Xbox, um, but I heard it was kind of meh. Uh, excuse me. Um, but playing the, like, the first one that they came out with was Vampire the Masquerade Redemption, it's a it's a good game. The only problem with it is they decided to take a character from the actual game lore and have you play as as him. So that's very that's very limiting. That's yeah, pretty <laughs> linear. Yeah, it's very linear. Even though you can play around with like getting different vampire powers and equipping them and stuff, but that's not how the game actually works. If you're in a particular clan, you have these particular disciplines, and that's it. Like you can't just mix and match shit unless. Like in my in one of the games I played, I had this backstory where I was a part of another group of vampires who had these special powers that I wouldn't otherwise have acquired, and they did allow me to do that, although they didn't quite allow me to do it as effectively as I was hoping, but still they did allow me to do that, but I had to write a detailed backstory in order to make that work, you know right but um. Yeah, but Vampire of the Masquerade Redemption, it's a good game. The problem is is it's also a dungeon crawler. <laughs> so essentially, once you become the character and you get to go out in the world, you go into these little instance dungeons, kill a bunch of shit, and then leave. And then you get, like, cutscenes in between all that. So, again, it's very limiting, though there is, like, multiple ending things like that. It's just not, you know... It's just not what it, it's not a good translation of the actual gameplay from the tabletop version. Mm-hmm. Fat, fast forward to you know 2004, and then uh, Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines comes out, which that is the, the reason why it's still going. I think is because for a lot of people, it's still the closest interpretation of the tabletop game that they can get to. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's very easy to get to now because, I mean, it's on GOG, it's on Steam, it's, you know, anywhere. I mean, you can probably even go on 
Amazon or whatever and, and buy the physical CD copies if you really want to. Right. I and actually it would run on a cell phone at this point. Yeah, just about. I mean, the graphics, the, the thing about the game, though, is when it came out initially, it did not sell very well because the Activision was the publisher. And I'm not necessarily here to jump on the we hate publishers bandwagon, but they did rush <laughs> it out because they got a prototype version of the Half-Life 2 engine and they wanted to try to release it before or at the same time as Half-Life 2 came out. Right which blew up in their fucking face because they, you know, had a prototype version. They didn't really get much time to tweak it at all. And so when it was released, it had tons of bugs and issues. And, you know, for, for the average gamer, you know, that's, that's, that usually doesn't fly, you know, especially back then when it was way more difficult to fix bugs on your own end. Yeah. But that's one of the things that was great about bloodlines was that, the company that well the the, the the sad part about it is the company that actually made the game uh went out of business like i think it was a year afterwards um they did release one official patch to fix a lot of the bugs that they started out with but that was it like after that they were bankrupt doors closed shuttered whatever so then it was upon the people who were fans of the game to go in figure out how to you know mod and change the source you know engine on their own which the source engine is, you know, ubiquitous for doing that anyway. Um, and they went in and they fixed a bunch of bugs. They're still fixing and tweaking and modifying the game to the point now where they're on version ten point two of the of the unofficial fan patch right now. Mm-hmm. So, so, and that's you know, two thousand four, twenty nineteen. People are still playing this game. That's why you have that meme joke of, you know, whenever somebody mentions it, somebody is reinstalling it. And I usually say that's usually me because <laughs> it's one of my favorite RPGs of all time just because I love the setting. I love the characters, uh, the voice acting in the game. There's some really stellar voice acting, even though off the There's top of my There's some really head, bad voice acting in that game, too. There I, is, I, but... I just loaded it up last night. Me and Zero both did, and... There were definitely points where it's like, oh man, I really see what they were trying to do. Like they did a pretty mm-hmm. good job with what they had. Yeah. Um, and then there well, were I know parts of it that were just like, oh god, they shouldn't have tried that. Yeah. But that's the thing too, though. Like because they rushed it out. Like I know the Chinatown section of the game. Uh, well. Yeah, the Chinatown section of the game is very empty and kind of unfinished. Like, there's really not much to do. There's no side quests. There's really not much to do there. So that's kind of like when you get to that portion of the game, it kind of <laughs> well. And like kind of the thing, down. the first thing I noticed was when you go to the nightclub in the first town after the tutorial, mm-hmm. you walk in there and there's six almost identical models doing the exact same animation dance. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a crowded nightclub. Like I saw what they were going for, right? But it's like this looks more like an awkward, empty Japanese, you know, rave club, right? Yeah, I mean, it was very much a 2004 kind of game, Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, granted, sure. I mean, you're talking to a guy that's probably got rotated firmly embedded in my eyeballs at this point with the game. But on the other hand, you know, I did play it when it first came out. So when it first came out, it's like, holy shit, I'd like this is about as close to playing the tabletop game as I'm going to get without actually doing that. Um, Cause it, the care, like the character creation, once you get to the character sheet, it's exactly like the character sheet you get for the game itself with a few tweaks here and there. Um, 
you know, like it, it literally is about the best interpretation that you're going to find, uh, at least until hopefully bloodlines two comes out. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with that as far as, you know, how, how much they're going to adhere to the, the tabletop game and where they're going to kind of go, you know, Yeah, I wish we knew a little bit more about what type of game that was in general. Yeah, well, I mean, I did, I did end up reading an article that IGN put out where they were talking about it being it, like it looks really good because I guess they got to play like a, a half hour or an hour demo at the game developers conference or something like yeah. that, or maybe before that. Um, and they kind of went over what the game was like, um, and like I've I've seen some people online kind of complaining about it. Like, I'll be honest with you, I'm excited for it, but I'm also sort of like keeping my hype in check a little bit because especially lately with games in general, like we've been burned quite a bit lately. <laughs> yeah. Like Anthem's Anthem's kind of a bust. Um, Fallout 76 has been kind of a bust, you know, like, you know, right now gaming is not looking very uh, appealing. Well, and that's the, that's the weird thing. There's like more people playing games now than ever before. Mm-hmm. But it feels like the games are not the games that we're interested in playing, if that makes sense. Right, right. It, it's kind of... Um, it's a great time to be a gamer if you like Battle Royales, is basically what I'm saying. Like, they're uh, good games. Like, I'm not saying Battle Royales are bad. I'm just saying no, they're but, not for me. Yeah, they're not for me, and they're becoming that... They're Essentially, they're kind of becoming what... Uh, battlefield and call of duty have become because you know you've ran that whole cliche you know modern warfare shooter shit to death now to the point where nobody wants to play that shit anymore and then when you try to do something new like when they went like far future with it people got pissed off about that so they're like all right let's go back and it's like no we don't want to go back we don't want to play war shooting games we want to do something different you know um I mean, the last game that I guess you could call a Battle Royale game, kind of, was uh, Battlefield Heroes <laughs> that I really played, because that was more of a, it was right. more of a kid, a kid-friendly version of Battlefield, but it played kind of similar to Battle Royales, except without the shrinking map mechanic. Yeah. But you could, but you could fly planes and you could, you know, kill other players and you could dress up like Nazi esque soldiers. Granted, they weren't wearing swastikas, but you, you know, it's probably for the come, best, right? But I mean, you can tell because the uniforms look very similar. Um, but you know, that was kind of like that. But I, it's not my thing. I've tried a few of the the battle royales. It's just I don't like that kind of gameplay it's it's kind of like tag where there's nobody that wins you know it's like if you're you know if you play tag and everybody's dead you know (laughs) like okay well the thing that i don't care for about battle royales in particular is you tend to spend most of your time looting and then you're in a two-second firefight Mm -hmm. unless you just mow through everybody and win and then that's not really fun either because it's like, well, I guess I killed everybody or everybody right. killed each other and I killed that last guy. Like, there's very few scenarios where I feel like I actually got anything out of it. Right. And the amount of time that it takes to actually get good at it just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. And in general, like, that's one of the reasons why I'm a little excited for, like, Bloodlines and stuff is because a lot of the... A lot of the open world games that have come out lately have been kind of, you know, like they haven't really quite 
they don't have a, a solid story for most of them. Or if they do, it's a very convoluted way to decipher what the story is sometimes. Right. Like, you know, obviously I've been playing pretty much nothing but <coughs> Destiny for the last few months. Or Destiny 2, I should say. But, I mean, like, there's a story in there, and you get most of it through the actual, like, story part of the game. But then once that's over, it's like the rest of it's kind of up for up for you to figure out. Again, which is fine, except for the way that they sort of present it. It's like you got to collect all these cards and book pages and shit like that. It's like, why don't you just, like, let me play through a scenario and let somebody, like, tell me what's going on or watch my character take part in some of their shit, you know? So I'm curious about the clans a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. So I understand that, you know, like, they're different groups of vampires, you Mm -hmm. know, but I guess I don't understand why that's the factor that determines their abilities. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> well, the way I the way I always looked at it was basically what they tried to do is they wanted to take as many. I don't I don't know if I, I don't know if I should use the word cliche, but they want to take as many of the tropes that you've seen in pretty much every vampire movie that you've read in every vampire book. And they sort of threw them all into a blender and then they spat out. And that's kind of like where the pieces fell. So essentially like there, like there's a clan Nosferatu, which granted if you've seen the silent film or the, the seventies remake of that movie, or even the shadow of the vampire movie, that was more of a, a comedy behind-the-scenes thing. It's a good movie, but it's just a little weird. Um, Basically, you know, essentially that's what those vampires are. When they are turned into vampires, they immediately begin to have horrible, disgusting disfigurements. You know, like, like pretty much if you've ever seen any, like, medical, you know pictures online of like boils and people having insects in their ears and the damage that causes and shit like that. That's basically what these guys end up with. There's no choice. There's no way to get around it. I mean, there, there are ways to get around it for them, but it's not, you can be a good looking Nosferatu and still be terrified. Yeah. Well, good looking Nosferatu. You're still going to be ugly, but I'm saying that they have abilities like obfuscate, which depending upon like, cause there's different levels for each discipline. For them, obfuscate. You can start out with where you can basically you can be you can be invisible, but you can't go anywhere or move. You can just like stand in a corner, which is cool if you're just eavesdropping. Right. But but again, if you're trying to like sneak around and be stealthy, if you can't move and be invisible, then that doesn't help you much. Um, but then you know, again, as you grad as you get more levels in that discipline, you can get up to the point where you can walk around or crouch or whatever, and then you can even get up to what they call mask of a thousand faces, where you can actually take on a more aesthetically a pleasing or aesthetically pleasing persona. It won't necessarily be like you know fucking uh, Jason Momoa, but I mean you're gonna at least not look like a fucking putrescent pile of pus, <laughs> you know. Right. So. But that's like them. Whereas then you go all the way over to somebody like the um, like the Toreadors. The Toreadors are the very pretty bloodsuckers. Think Anne Rice. Think Queen of the Dam. Think Interview with the Vampire. Those are those guys. They're very into art. They're very into beauty. They're, they do. They're kind not. of the Victorian vampires. Uh, I mean, they. Uh, 
Yeah, they're essentially they're all about beauty and art and very, you know, like they like aesthetically pleasing things, which is why they don't really get along with uh, they don't really get along with the uh, Nosferatu very much. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I had, had to give a kiss to my wife. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and that's kind of like your you, those are your polar opposites. And granted, each one gets different disciplines. There's other clans like the, the Giovanni. If you uh, Imagine the Godfather if they're all vampires. You know, but except they also... Uh, they are also incestuous, so everybody in the clan is a member of the Giovanni family. Period. <laughs> There's no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they're also they also tend to run funeral homes and are into necromancy and necrophilia. So there you go. Um, and, and you know, so they obviously have like necromancy as a power. Um, and that it, essentially, that's kind of it, essentially. I think the way they they boil it down is it, it basically works the same as like classes, like in most other games. You know, like like if you play like Skyrim or something, you've got your mages, you've got your you know barbarian warriors, you've got your thieves, you know, and that's basically what they did. Like you've got all the clans that kind of fill those archetypes and have their own strengths and weaknesses and their own general like tropes or personalities that associate with them. You know, like the Nosferatu, yeah, they're ugly, but they're very good at being information gatherers and reconnaissance. So if you want to, if you want to know something, you go talk to a Nosferatu, whether you want to or not, if you really want to know something, they will find it for you. You know, if you want to, I guess what I don't understand, Mm -hmm. like, so some of the vampires have like special powers, right? Like they have Mm -hmm. special abilities. Yeah. Is that bound to their clan? That is, although there are some clans that do have the same powers, um, uh, let me think here. Um, well, like there's there's some clans that do share the same powers. Like there's some that will have potence, you know. Some will have celerity, which is like you know moving faster and things like that. Some share those, but generally there's at least one discipline out of the three that you get that's unique to that clan. <clears throat> right. That's what that's what I don't understand. Like I don't get why one clan wouldn't be able to have a really fast guy. While the other guys could have a really fast guy too, like it doesn't make sense that that's tied to that clan to me. Like the the disfigurement or the mm-hmm. bloodline thing makes sense, but right, I, I guess I just don't understand why their you know disciplines yeah. would be tied to their clan. Well, I don't think it. Yeah, I I think it's just a way to keep things a little bit unique, especially because generally when you're playing the games, playing with a group of you know, four or five people, you know, and a, and a storyteller. So right. like so if you're, that's if you're kind of the a, game thing coming through, right? Yeah. Cause basically if you're playing, like, obviously if you're playing bloodlines by yourself, it's more just a choice. Cause you're not really doing anything co-op, which is one of the features that if that game had it back then, that probably would have been fucking phenomenal, but it, it's essentially you playing by yourself. But as far as the tabletop game goes, you're usually going to play in a group of like three or four other people other than the storyteller himself or herself. And, you know, in that group, you'll have like one vampire, one Nosferatu, one Ventru, one Toreador, and they all have to figure out how to work together despite their differences. You know, it's it's part of the storytelling aspect in a too. You know, because obviously if you've got a Nosferatu and you need to sneak in somewhere, you're probably better off sending him in because he can get in there seen. You know, whereas the the Toreador want to be seen. So if you're going to a nightclub or fancy art gallery, 
you're going to want to take a Toreador because they can schmooze like, like a Hollywood mogul, you know. So that And that's kind of the idea is that it gives the players a way to work together and still be individuals. And so that's why I think they did it that way. I mean, yes, sure, some clans share certain disciplines, but I mean... The other thing, too, is with disciplines, you can't necessarily just max them all. You, you kind of have to figure out which one of the three is going to be your specialty, and then the other one, like, second and third choice, you know. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just curious if it was kind of the game thing, or mm-hmm. if there was, like, a lore reason for them having those different affinities. I mean, other than, like, other than, like, the one discipline that every clan kind of has... Um, that's the only one I can think of that has, a, like with uh, the Malkavians, uh, the one of their discipline, I believe it's called Dementation, mm-hmm. uh, which basically mm-hmm. is power to drive other people insane. <laughs> and again, awesome. because, yeah, well, the Malkavians also, the Nosferatu, how they disfigured, Malkavians pretty much developed some sort. Uh, psychological trauma, neuroses, you know, that makes you know, unique and kind of hard to deal with in games because they can either be really... I don't know how to, how to describe it as far as... Difficult? They can be difficult. Um, like, honestly, uh, again, if, if anybody's curious and really wants to see what a, a, a tabletop playthrough session looks like, you need to go on YouTube and look up Geek and Sundry LA by Night uh, play sessions. Uh, they do a really good job of showing you like what a tabletop game could be like. Um, <clears throat> and like in that game, they had a Malkavian show up for a couple of sessions because one of the other guys was unavailable. Uh, so they had him come in, and like every once in a while, they would be in combat or be talking to each other, and all of a sudden, he would get these visions. Uh, and he would, and he would zone out. Right, he would zone out in the middle of whatever they. Doing. So it's, you know, it, again, it makes for a unique story and a unique, you know, mechanic in game. But he would also do these really, he would also say like really weird things. And, you know, it's the guy played it really well. And I think he did a good job of keeping, like in a lot of the games that I played, there's a very fine line between being cutesy, silly Malkavian and sick and twisted Malkavian. And generally, you want to stay on that line as much as possible. If you go too far into the, into the cutesy mode, they're going to kill you. They'll find a way to get rid of you because they don't want that kind of stupid shit in their game. On the other hand, if you're going in sick and twisted, unless you're playing an overall Sabat game, they're probably going to find a way to kill you too. Right. Um, but yeah, in general, like that's kind of like, Usually there's one discipline like that. Um, like for Nosferatu, again, the obfuscate thing where they can go invisible. Um, on the other hand, they also, I believe, had animalism. They could control animals. Seems uh, like most gang- of them have that. Yeah, not always. Like Gangrel do, Nosferatu do. But to, you know, again, it's different, you know, for each one. Because like animalism, like, yeah, you can, you know, if you need a distraction to get in somewhere, you can summon a flock of ravens to come and just buzz around people for a second while you sneak around the corner. Yeah. Whereas like whereas like Gangrel, like they can command like a legion of rats or, you know, whatever to do their bidding and do whatever they want and that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. But I mean in general again it just depends on the characters, mm-hmm. what what you create as far as a character goes and what the storytellers allow you to get away with or not. Um but yeah, as far as the disciplines go, like yeah, there's some that are shared between 
the clans, but you know, again, they're kind of put at different priority levels depending upon the the player and the clan and all that. Right. Um, so, I guess if people are interested in playing, mm-hmm. like obviously the new game coming out is definitely the entry point that you're going to want to go to for a modern entry point. Yeah, it, not it's already like a you know an rpg player if you're already an rpg player then you probably have a group of people you can convince to you know try the game out yeah. with you yeah and the one thing that i liked about it too played shadow and those two games i like unlike dungeons and dragons because dungeons and dragons the other thing i never liked about it that much is the fact you have like five different dice to roll for different things that to me is a little too much to keep track of Maybe that's saying something about me, but I mean, to me, I, I definitely understand because I played a, a Warhammer 40k orc army that was okay, a yeah. gigantic mob of boys, and I would frequently have to roll like 60 dice. Mm-hmm. And that, now this it's can, unmanageable. Yeah, this can kind of get that way. Like the joke about Shadowrun was, uh, whatever you're trying to do, you have to roll a bathtub of d6 dice. Right. Um, which is kind of true, it just depends, because essentially they go based off of whatever the skill is. Like, if you got five points in, you know, I don't know, persuasion or whatever, you would roll five D, take the highest numbers of those roll successes or failures. But, you know, this essentially works the same way, it's just that instead of using D6, they use uh, the D10s, the 10-sided dice. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it, it basically works the same way. It's like, you know, like if you watch the playthroughs, they'll be like, you know, well, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to activate awe and try to persuade them to, you know, sit down with me. It's like, okay, well, you got to roll persuasion and manipulation or whatever. So you would take whatever your points are in those two skills, put the dice together, roll it, and boom. Every once in a while, you'd have to roll uh, a hunger die because being a vampire, you have what they call the beast inside of you that constantly wants to drink blood and wreak havoc and kind of do its own thing, which you have to keep in check as a vampire. Because one, if you let the beast out and you're in public, you have no control, so you could break the masquerade real quick. And then that causes all sorts of problems. So you have to always keep that in check. So you will have to roll the hunger die to kind of determine where your hunger level is at the higher your hunger level goes the you know more likely you are to frenzy um so that again that bodes you know all sorts of problems for you depending upon the situation or it could be advantageous depending upon again what you're doing what the situation is right if you're in a combat situation with nobody around to break the masquerade it might actually be beneficial and provided that the people you're going against are truly not innocent if there are innocents around and you go ham on that will eat into the other uh, mechanic you have to deal with, which is your humanity. Right. So, like, so if you feed on an innocent and kill them, well, then you have to lose a humanity marker, and then you have to work really hard in order to get that expunged. Because the less your humanity goes, the less you know likely you are to be of any use. Because otherwise, you're just going to be in beast mode all the time, <laughs> and that's not really a good way to play the game. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you probably don't have a lot of uh, agency over what you're actually doing, so that wouldn't be a lot of fun to play anyway. Right, as far as, yeah, because the beast is just another mechanic on top of that you have to constantly sort of keep in check. Now, granted, it doesn't come up like every time you roll something, but every once in a while, especially if you're using your disciplines or, 
you know, something like that. If you're really exerting yourself, that's when the hunger will come up. Just like in real life, if you're, you know, out there, you know, working hard in the yard, you're going to probably be hungry, probably be thirsty, you know. It's, it, it works kind of along those sort of lines. <clears throat> Got to whip out that Capri Sun of blood. <laughs> right. And again, you may not have that access. Like you could, you know, like, uh, you know, Nosferatu tend to feed on rats. But if this place is pristine, clean hospital and there's no rats around, you're kind of stuck. <laughs> you know, right. either you're going to have to find the blood bank in the hospital or you're going to have to find a patient that somebody's not going to miss, you know. <laughs> That can, or, or either that's not going to miss or isn't going to die when you try to feed on them, you know, right? that kind of stuff. But I mean, in general, it's just another mechanic on top of, you know, the regular base, typical RPG sort of stuff. Because, um, again, depending upon what clan you are, you can have certain advantages, certain disadvantages. You know, Bruja is another clan that they have, which tend to be, you know, your, your rebel rousers, your punks, you know, your, you know, the, the guys that would be on college campuses trying to, you know. Nowadays, they'd probably be called uh, SJWs nowadays, but I mean, in general, that's the overall theme that they broadcast. Granted, they don't all wear leather jackets and, you know, Dead Kennedys t-shirts and shit like that. But, you know, for every one of those Bruja you meet, there's another one that's a little more like, you know, a little more erudite, a little more well thought out with their arguments, you know. So it, it's it's not necessarily like the stereotypes are there for a reason, but you don't necessarily have to play that way either. So if somebody wants to start playing, though, mm-hmm. you have a couple of options, right? You've got the LARP version if there's a group in your area. Yeah, which the LARP version, I I, I don't think they've come out with LARP versions for the, the current edition. So it would probably be the 20th anniversary edition you'd be looking for for that. Um, I could be wrong. I haven't quite researched that yet. Um, again, because like I said, there's really no LARP games in my area anymore. So it doesn't really, you know, it's kind of a moot point for me. Right. But, and then you've um, got the, the pen and paper RPG with the dice and whatnot. You've got that version. Yeah. Which got like, the video which, games basically. Basically. Yeah. Which, you know, bloodlines, you can find that online for, you know, five, 10 bucks or cheaper, depending upon if there's a sale going on. Um, like technically, like I realized I've bought the game about three different times now because I bought the original physical release, which I still have the discs around here somewhere. Um, I bought the Steam version and I also bought the GOG version. The GOG version is the one I recommend because that one automatically includes the fan patch. Mm. So the uno- so the unofficial patch 10.2 will automatically. Yeah, which that's one of the reasons why if you're going to have any version of I would recommend that one. Mm-hmm. Granted, down- downloading the unofficial patch isn't that difficult, but it is going to take like some searching around. You got to go to like patchesscrolls.de to find it. You right. know, like if, if you're if you're comfortable installing mods in games, if you, if right. you mod Skyrim, you're probably going to be all right. Right. Yeah. And there's a few there's a few mods out there for Bloodlines too, as well that has like different skins and things like that for the game that you can play around with. But if you just want to play the game, like you know, pretty much like as if you took it out of the box today, you know, the GOG version, like I said, I recommend because that's got the most updated unofficial patch um, to be able to play, you know, without too many bugs and interruptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pen and paper, uh, there is the fifth edition, which is the current edition. Granted, you know, it's kind of expensive to buy. Um, I mean, it can be it can be bought. It's not that it's not that terrible, but uh, if you're it, a pen and paper player, like yeah. you know, you know what those prices are like and you're not yeah. unused to 
you know, dropping 50 bucks on a book. Yeah. Now, again, if you don't want to have a physical book or whatever, because the physical book, like even like the non deluxe edition, like I'm looking at it here on Amazon, they've got it here. I think it starts at about eighty six ninety nine. Yeah, that's I mean, I feel like that's a big issue with those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard Whereas, to get people to try something out for a hundred bucks like. Right, you know, but they people do... are used to sixty bucks for a video game, right? They're not necessarily yeah. used to a hundred bucks to try a game out. True, although I do believe if you go online, you can probably search for. Um, they, I do believe they have like a quick start version, which is kind of just a, a bare bones version that gives you the basic rules to start right. playing. Try it out, see if you like right. it or not. Right, yeah, and you can you can find that online, and usually those are free or they're at a very small cost. Most of the time, they're free that I've found, though. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but, but you can also go on to uh, drive through RPG if you don't want physical media and if you've got, like, tablets or whatever with PDF capability. There you go. You can go to drive through RPG. Um, you can get, you know, Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition on there. Let's see here. I'm going to look it up right now while we're sitting here. Yeah, you can get it there for twenty four ninety. So, like, ha- like a... Th- you know, third, fourth of the cost that you would get for the physical copy. Right. Um, they had, and, and if you go on there, there you go. You got the, yeah, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Fifth Edition Quick Start for free. So you can get that for free, and you can start messing around with it a little bit to see if you want to get interested in it. Um, and again, they've got, and again, if you really get into it, they've got tons of, you know, the, all the other books that you would need to play the games, even if you want to go back and play, like, the older versions of the games, you know, if you really want to, like, you know, go on a deep sort of dive, if you want to go back and play, like, the 20th Anniversary Edition. And there's really wanna... nothing wrong with that either. No, like, no, that's still fine. It's a good game. There's no, there's no reason you can't play the older versions of the game. It's not like a video game where the graphics degrade, you know, or aren't as high quality. Right, it's I mean, just, yeah, the, you know, yeah, the rules... a different thing. Yeah, just some of the rules of the mechanics may be different than the current versions, but again, if you're just playing with this one version, and it again, it really doesn't matter. So, um, uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure they've got like the the LARP rules as well. If you want to, um, you know, look into that stuff, uh, and I'm pretty sure that it also if you if you like vampire or don't if if you're not interested in vampire, but you might like mage or werewolf or one of the other games in you know catalog of world of darkness games <clears throat> um you can also find those again on drive through rpg you might be able to find some of the more current versions of those games on like amazon or you can even i think they've probably got an official site through modius games mm. um but you can but again you can go on amazon you can find the storyteller screens you can find the dice if you really want specific dice you know, all that kind of stuff's pretty easy to get a hold of. And again, if you really don't want to go online and buy something, if you really want to go physically look at it and stuff, I'm sure you can go to a bookstore. You may even be able to go to a local game store and find it. Yeah, there's um, probably somebody in your local gaming group that has one mm-hmm. of those books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I was going to say, if we were going to have video tonight, I'm here with my Malkavian book, even though I never really played a Malkavian, but... You know, a girlfriend of mine at the time was wanting to play one, so I got the book mainly for her. And then I have my uh, Vampire the Masquerade 20th Anniversary Deluxe Edition leather bound and all that right here in my hand. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which that one is probably if you want to get a sense of what the classic like uh, game was like, that one's probably the one to get because they pretty much took every single thing that they ever published or wrote about that game and they sort of again threw it all into a blender and tried to pick out the best parts of all of that stuff you know like from the clan descriptions and all that stuff and threw it all into that book so if you want a definitive version of like the old school you know world of darkness you know vampire the masquerade stuff seek it out you don't have to go for the leather bound version i jumped on that when it was a kickstarter thing when i had that kind of money (laughs) right you know, cause I was a huge fan of it. So I ended up picking that up, but I mean, you can find the, you can find that on drive through RPG for cheap. You can find that on, you know, Amazon, the non deluxe version for pretty cheap too. Mm-hmm. W2. Have fun. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's really not that hard to jump into. And again, like I said, they've got the quick start ones that you can sort of jump into to play around with. Um, I think that I'm not sure offhand if that one comes with like any sort of introductory scenarios, but I mean, you can probably find some stuff like that too to play, which, yeah, I know I was just harping about the whole block text thing, but again, if you're getting into a brand new, you know, game and you've never played it before, probably a good idea to start off with something easy like that, that kind of has everything laid out for you, especially if you're like me, like I've never ran a game because for one, I always felt to myself that I was more of a, a player and because to me being a player you get to discover all these things and you get to solve all these mysteries and find out all this stuff and everything's kind of a surprise and a new thing but to me I always felt like being the storyteller was kind of like there's you know you can have fun with it but it's also kind of like turning on god mode you know like right. there's really no incentive for you to do much of anything I mean if, Other... you're, if you're into telling a story like you probably want right. to be that person. You know, you want to right. you get more enjoyment out of telling other people the story and watching them discover it than you do yourself experiencing it. Right. And I've always felt I was on the opposite side where I had more fun discovering what the story is and how my character was going to react and how the other characters were going to react to my character and, you know, all that. Like, I was more interested in that stuff, which is part of the downside of, you know, gaming for like tabletop gaming for me like most of the guys that i did tabletop games with you know they've all gotten married and gotten kids and stuff like myself included you know like we've all kind of moved on and done our own things but i do miss it especially in times like this where i'm like oh i'm watching those you know la by night playthroughs and I'm sitting there going, man, I wish I could jump into this game like right now, you know? Yeah. Especially because that one is actually hosted by uh, Jason Carl, who is the community director for White Wolf and, you know, all that. And it's like, I would love to play a game with that guy because he looks like a fun storyteller based on what I've seen in those videos. So that would be like a, just another like cherry on top of that, you know, fun experience. Right. Uh, and like, and I really like the way that they do that game because the guys actually that play, to a certain extent, sort of dress up as their characters. Um, mm-hmm. Like the, the the one Venture guy that comes in, he's usually wearing like a you know dress shirt and you know looking pretty. You know, he's not necessarily dressed up in a tuxedo or anything, but he does look like a Venture. He's wearing something like business casual or whatever. 
you know, and then you've got the guy who plays the Nosferatu. He's got the white contact lenses. He's got a little bit of makeup around the eyes. He's wearing a hoodie. He's kind of crouched down. You can't really see his face most of the time unless he's talking to you, you know. And, like, they really, like, in a way, it's sort of like a blend of the LARP and the tabletop <laughs> at the same time because everybody kind of dresses the part to a certain extent. Mm. Yeah, I always got the impression that, like, I got the impression that Vampire the Masquerade is mm-hmm. the LARP anyway is somewhat similar to like joining like the Freemasons where you want to be with a group of, you know, like-minded people and just yeah. kind of hang out and chat and tell stories and mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of all there for the same reason, but all, you know, you can have different walks of life. Right. But you're all kind of there for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, and there's, you know, with all the stuff that they have for, you know, the games, like as far as the supplements, the other clans, like there's other clans that have like even more, uh, especially on the Sabbat side, they have a lot more clans and stuff that have really fucked up shit. Like there's a clan. I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation is. I've heard it like two different ways, but the one I always go with is, is the Meatsy clan. Mm-hmm. Starts out with it, which starts with a T. So figure that one out. Um, but basically, they they have a unique discipline that they call flesh crafting. Hmm. So yeah, so you know, if you really didn't like somebody, imagine turning them into your favorite easy chair with their bones <laughs> and their flesh. Yeah, don't want to fucking deal with that. And plus, on top of that, if you want to talk about like extreme body modification, oh yeah, these guys got nothing on fucking Aboriginal cr- cultures. <laughs> you know, right. like these like these guys like make those guys look fucking like normal tattoos to you know everybody else because they 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 will modify their bodies give themselves like fucking forehead klingon ridges and all you know like think of the most extreme body modification you've probably ever seen in like ripley's believe it or not and then like up that by a thousand yeah (laughs) they are not yeah that's why they tend to be sabat because again you look like that but you don't give a shit yeah, Nosferatu at least try to maintain some semblance of we don't exist. <laughs> we are not here. You know, they tend to live in the sewers and things like that where people aren't going to come look for them. Usually. They kind of want to be seen and make sure everybody knows how freaky they are. Right. They yeah, they they know how yeah, they definitely don't shy away from being seen. I mean, yeah, to a, to a certain extent, I'm sure as far as, you know, making sure the Inquisition doesn't show up and, you know, turn them to dust. You know, they do maintain some semblance of, you know, quietness. But, again, when push comes to shove, they will, again, they will turn you into their favorite easy chair, maybe even a dinette set. They don't give a shit, (laughs) you know. They're not, yeah, they're not subtle. You know, then you've got, like, La Sombra. La Sombra are one with shadows. So, again, like, if you think the Nosferatu are freaky and can just appear out of nowhere, these guys can pretty much appear out of any shadow you have in your, you know, in your immediate vicinity. And it'll be, like, Lovecraftian, you know? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. shadow tentacles and shit coming out of the woodwork. You don't want to deal with that. (laughs) But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, with all these different clans, there's lots of fun things you can think of to do with them. And, you know... Like, you know, fun ways you can think of to play around with whatever the storyteller throws at you. Cool. Um, how receptive are the people playing the game to the, you know, the more obscure of the the clans and whatnot? Is that something that's usually you kind of have to agree upon beforehand? Or can you just kind of show up to a game with, 
you know, a specific thing in mind and not worry about it? Generally, like in the LARP games that I played, kind of like I mentioned a little bit before, like with my character's backstory so I could work in those powers that I shouldn't have had. Um, mainly I did that because I wanted to play that particular clan, but they didn't allow anybody to play that clan for whatever reason, probably because they didn't want anybody to be like overpowered whatever you know they had their own they kind of had their own story i'm thinking in mind so they probably didn't want to add in anything that was kind of an outlier to that right um but but in general if you could come up with a very convincing or a convincing enough backstory where it they, doesn't screw up their plan basically right they might be able to work with you and maybe you know do kind of like they did with me where you know they were like okay well we'll allow you to do that you know to this extent but they won't allow you to do this because again it's going to throw off what we're doing okay cool you know, that's fine. But again, like most of the time, if you talk with whoever's running the game and say, hey, I really want to play as the BC in this game, it's like, yeah, but we're a Camarilla game. That's not really going to work. You know, like, can you maybe play Nosferatu or something a little different, you know, than that? You know, you know, fine. E- either that or, you know, maybe they would be willing to let you kind of come in and play an NPC character for them so they don't have to do that. You know, that, but then again, like, if anything, I would just talk with whoever's running the game and see what it is they want to, like, whether or not they'll let you do that or not. Um, and usually most storytellers are, you know, pretty open to working with you. Most of the time when I've played games, like even LARP games, I haven't run across too many rules lawyers. Um, most of the time you're pretty much able to get away with what you want to do, or at least you can kind of get there if they won't let you do exactly what you want to do. Right, but it, it's all a matter, I think, of just talking to whoever's running the game and being like, "Hey, I had this idea to do like you know this you know follower of set character, you know, and you kind of lay it out for them, and then they could be like, "Well, we don't really have any room for that because we've kind of got a you know plot line we're working on with them, and you know you don't really fit into it, but you know we'll let you do this or you know they generally, if you just talk to your storyteller and say, "Hey, I want to play this character." They'll be like, well, you know, we can't do that, but we can do this for you. Or they're generally open to compromising with you. Most of the time, they won't outright say no unless it's something that doesn't fit in the game. Like, again, like I said, if you want to play as a Mitzi, you're pretty much going to have to play a Sabat game. Otherwise, most of the time, if it's a Camarilla-based game, you won't really get that opportunity. Right. Because most of the because most of the time in those games, they tend to use Zemitsi, La Sombra, you know, those more twisted clans as the bad guys you're going to be dealing with. So they don't really want a player coming in and playing that character, and, you know, possibly fucking the whole story up. <laughs> but again, as long as you talk to whoever and they're receptive to it, which usually they are, at least in my experience, they I've never really ran into anybody that's flat out said, no, you can't do that, roll something else, you know. But, you know, generally they're pretty, pretty receptive. And most of the players are pretty good at working with you. And, you know, like I, like a bunch of the guys that I played with because they knew I wasn't, you know, I didn't have like shelves and shelves of books and stuff to know all the minutia. You know, there were friends of mine that gave me before there was drive through RPG. They gave me, you know, PDF copies of the lore books. They get, you know, I bought the physical copies of some of the books that I could afford. You know, in fact, it was funny the first time I went to go play the LARP game, I uh, I went to a, a local gaming store and I was looking for the current like second edition book for the rules to play it. It turned out they didn't have any. What they had was the first edition rules of the LARP game. So I ended up buying that and I showed up to my first game. And they're like, yeah, that book's not going to work. 
<laughs> right. Because those rules are, are a little outdated for what we're doing. So then I, I had to kind of crib the, the PDF version at first just so I could, you know, at least make a character and get going. And then I eventually picked up the, the physical book. I have that on my shelf too. I've got that one and I've got the, the werewolf LARP books. I, I did play a little bit of that for a while. And I did, I did play a tabletop version of the werewolf game, uh, which was set in the university of Seattle. Um, and in that one I played, they had, you have your werewolf, I guess they're, they're called breeds as opposed to clans, but you've got different versions of werewolves you can play in that game as well. The structure is very similar to vampire, although I wouldn't say it's as political. It's yeah. a little bit more combatty, but it still has an overarching story to tell. Um, and they also had what they called changing breeds. Uh, which were other like were creatures. So you had like uh, Rokia, which were were shark. Um, you had you know. So imagine street sharks, right. except with except with very 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 very. Little, they pretty much just want to swim and eat and make little sharks, <laughs> you know. And then you've got uh, like what I what I tended to play was the Korax, who were were raven. Mm-hmm. They were known as like mischievous tricksters, but they did have an ability to drink from the eyes of the dead and depending right. upon which depending upon which eye they drank from they could see either basically like their entire life up to the moment that they died flashing before their eyes or if they drank from the other eye they would basically see everything that led up to the moment of their you know like like what caused them to die and considering my character was a, a guy going to because we were all university students so my character for forensic pathology, so I figured that would be a very useful ability for a forensic And he was rich, so he could afford to disciple. Hmm. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's my character, <laughs> that's what I that's what I brought to the table. You know, and I had fun. Like one of the like one of the storylines that I had in the game was a character that was PC that the storyteller was playing. My character had a crush on. Turned out she was a lesbian. Story of my life, <laughs> you know. Right. It's like it's like well that didn't work out, but then he ended up creating another NPC character for me to like fall in love with, you know. But it was all a part of the story. It, was, it flowed naturally. It was like yeah, I kept hitting on her, TV receptive to it, and, everything. and eventually like I'm gay. It's like oh okay, <laughs> well we're still friends. I mean you know like See what I'm not like for, but please don't right. Right. I mean, it, you know, but it took like a few game sessions to even get to that point. I kept dropping hints and making suggestions and, you know, doing like what somebody who's attracted to somebody would normally do without being like crass or, you know, and then right. it's like, okay, and then, okay, well, this character's gay. Well, again, that's, that's a natural story progression and something that could very well happen in this. So, you know, we had some pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting games. It was kind of, it's one of those things, though, that sucks because we never really got an ending game. It was just like we played, we, we played, and then eventually we almost kind of fucked off of different things. And yeah. so we never really got a, a conclusion or anything to the game itself. But it was still a lot of fun, and I had a lot of fun with it. I would love to play a vampire tabletop like that because I'm pretty sure I would have a lot of fun with it. Like I said, most of the people that I gamed with, you know, there's not really any vampire games pretty much around here. It's either Magic the Gathering or pretty much all you got. Maybe Pokemon if you're that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's that's like the only options that you have most of the time. Nobody else really plays anything else half the time. 
which is why it makes me sad because like the one guy that I that I did the the werewolf game with, he ran Shadowrun, so I played Shadowrun games too, and I had a lot of fun with that. Now Shadowrun, you know, just brief tangent here. For those of you that don't know what that is, essentially imagine Blade Runner or any sort of cyberpunk movie you've ever seen. Only there's like trolls and mages. Magic is real. Native Americans, you know, have, have taken over. You know, entire North American states cotton it's very fun go look into that one a story driven game but that also has kind of easy <clears throat> tangent over <laughs> well it's okay tangents are good right I just didn't want to get too off track <laughs> from what we were talking <laughs> so but yeah I mean in general like you know, the games have been pretty fun. It just depends on the thing. The thing about any tabletop gaming or gaming with people in general is you have to find a group of people that you can that you can play off of, and that again aren't going to necessarily like override what it is you're trying to do. Like I said, you don't really want to play a game with a lawyer to get right. really quick. And I mean, yeah, there is something to be said for the rules that have been written, but. I've always liked the guys who've ran games, Empire, whatever, to be able to bend or completely break the rules if it's going to make for a better overall story narrative, or you know, or just a better personal story for that character. Right. <clears throat> because that's really ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to you know flesh out these characters and make them you know real for you know however. Game right, it's it's more that. about the story than it is anything else. Right, I mean the combat is fun and neat to do, you know, when you do it, but it's also not that's not the main focus. You know, it's not a it's it's not an action game. It's more political, personal storytelling sort of game. Right, if you're in combat all the time, you're probably doing it wrong. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, some games kind of go from, but in general. Like, in a lot of the LARP games that I did play until they eventually kill my character, um, I mean, and that was kind of sad because I really didn't get to do much. But that's the thing. It's like I basically hung out. I had a little, you know, what they call a... They call a coterie, which is kind of like your your immediate group of, you know, people that you play with. You know, they were people that were kind of of the same class. We all sort of hung out to our gang. Actually, you know, and I did. I did a lot of stuff with them, and we had some interactions. I pissed off a sheriff at one point. That didn't go well for me. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that you just have to find people that you're comfortable playing kind of games with that aren't necessarily gonna you know make it their own personal mission to end you. Right. You know, right. whatever. Like those are the games I never. Liked. Like, granted, if they flat out say, hey, this is a high-level game, and my job is to make it as hard for you as possible, fine. Put that out on Front Street. I can decide, you know, I'm a big boy. I can decide whether I want to do that or not, you know. Yeah. Which generally I don't want to because I want to play, again, more for the story and just the fun of playing as opposed to, you know, trying to, you know, min-max or, you know, whatever. Like, I've always never been very good with the statistical part of role-playing games. I'm, I'm... flat out admitting it you know that's part of the reason why i like vampire and, and shadow run because again you all you got to do is like okay you've got a six in seduction roll six d10 
boom, there you go. Okay, I got three successes. Well, you kind of do what you're trying to do, but not quite, you know, depending yeah. upon whatever the storyteller's got going on. And that, that's very easy for me to keep track of, whereas like Dungeons & Dragons, you've got D20, D10, D4, D6, you know. It's like I don't know which dice to roll for what and how much to do, and then you're getting into too much math for me to, t- to deal with. So mm-hmm. that's why I kind of just like, go ahead, you do what you're going to do, you know. And I know that there's like other game systems like the D20 system, which I think uses D20 dice exclusively, but I've never really gotten to play much of that. We were talking about starting up a spycraft game, which again, it's another role-playing game set with like a spy theme universe, you know, think James Bond, Mission Impossible, you know, all that kind of shit in a role-playing game. That one was using the, the, the uh, d20 system but i never actually got to play it i got as far as actually creating a character sheet and you know setting up the backstory and then we never ended up playing it so there's a lot of that in my backs in my in my tabletop you know gaming you know histories that a lot of the times we get started to do something and it never comes to fruition so be prepared for that too if you're really if you're never do if you've never done a top game and are thinking about doing it you may face a lot of that at the beginning, but eventually, again, you find people that, you know, are really dedicated and want to do it, then there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I don't know how many more questions I have. I think we've covered the majority of the intro. Like, I kind of wanted this to be episode one of, like, kind of a series going over this in more detail. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, that's fine. I know that primarily I know you, you know, because... Again, I actually got into Vampire probably in the mid-90s when we first got the internet, because sad as this is to say, I had an internet girlfriend way back then, you know, and, you know, we were, she was into that sort of stuff, so eventually, you know, I ended up getting into it and finding out about it, but again, I was, you know, in middle school at the time, (laughs) so I didn't really have access to go to a gaming store and pick up books and all that shit, so that's part of the reason why I really didn't jump into playing the game until after I got out of high school and, you know, briefly into, you know, college, you know, but again, I still had a lot of fun doing it. It's, I definitely recommend it, especially if, if you have a really good imagination and you really, you know, want to do something worthwhile with it, if you're, if you got a really good imagination, but you aren't necessarily an author or an illustrator or anything along those sort of career paths, this might give you sort of an outlet to use that. Yeah. So cool. All right, man. Well, I think we're going to call it a night for this one. Okay. Um, but uh we'll have to we'll have to set up another one of these. I know I I want to watch some of the the Geek and Sundry stuff where they play through it a little bit and kind of yeah, have, so. you know, I'm sure I'll have more questions after that. Okay. Um and definitely I I'm interested in it and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how interested in it I would be. And yeah. there's definitely some of it I think is a little bit cheesy. Um I mean, there there is a little bit of that, but I think in a way that's sort of intentional because, again, this is a this is a, a dramatic game at times, but they do want to have those moments of levity, you right. know, tongue in cheek, and they're not taking themselves too seriously. Yeah. Some of the players, some of the players might do that, but you know, usually those are the ones you don't necessarily want to have game. You know, you don't want to game with. You right. kind of have to those guys out a little bit, but you know. 
that's that's cool. semantics. You'll figure that out as you go along once you, you know, when and if you start actually playing or looking into it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very cool. All right, man. Well, I think we're going to call it a show, but um, right. like I said, we'll, you know, we'll try to do this again. I don't know if you'll be available next week, but I'd like to get Zero in here. I know he's got some questions and stuff. Yes, um, uh, unfortunately, he's dealing with some family um yeah, some some family issues. We definitely yeah, he, wish he planned on joining us and was unable to tonight. Um, yeah, we definitely but, wish uh, him all the luck with that too. Yeah, so we'll uh, you know I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you uh, next week. As always, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Box Press Radio. You can find us on Discord as well. Uh, the mm-hmm. website boxpressradio.com has all the links to everything. Um, so stop by there and be sure to follow us here on Twitch so that you can see us uh, talk about it live. We're going to have webcams for the next show, hopefully, once we get all that sorted out with some new software. But, um, yeah, it was fun. I'm I'm interested and I'm anxious to to kind of talk more about it. Yeah, I am too, definitely. Um, like I said, I'm no expert. I don't work for White Wolf. Nobody's paying me anything. But I'll try to answer whatever questions I can to the best of my knowledge. So Very cool. All right, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's It's been interesting, and it's fun to do a podcast with you again. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, I definitely enjoy doing it. You know, it's it's been a long time, and I'm kind of kind of missing it. <laughs> yeah, same. Well, uh, we'll hopefully be back next week. We'll try to schedule it out and let you guys know. Um, tentatively, maybe we'll try to do it again the same time next week. Yeah, we will definitely see. I mean, my schedule is a little bit dependent on my wife's schedule, so I just have to kind of see what she's got planned. I don't think she's updated the calendar yet, so we'll see. Sounds good. All right, man. Mm -hmm. Well, have a good night, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. All righty, everybody. Take care.